Hey, thanks for tuning in to Cross Defense. Today on the show, we're taking a look at artificial intelligence, or as the cool kids say, AI. We're going to ask six questions about AI to help us pump the brakes and figure out if it's good, bad, indifferent. Who knows? Is there a reason for a moratorium? Should we be waiting to pause and see if this thing is is dangerous? Will it take over the world? I don't know how to answer those questions, but we're going to ask them, and we're going to lean heavily on Neil Postman to do that. So stick around for that as Neil Postman takes us all the way to Plato's Phaedrus and King Famous's warning about the introduction of the written word. All that and more is coming up right now on Cross Defense. Welcome to another episode of Cross Defense. This is the show that aims to equip the mind, excite the imagination, and comfort the soul, and we do it all with God's Word. I'm your host, Reverend Tyrell Bramwell, the pastor of St. Mark Lutheran Church out here in Ferndale, California, a congregation of faithful <laughs> mules, mules fighting off woke bears. That's right, <laughs> Not for their own sake, but for Christ's sake and for our neighbor's sake out of love for others. Uh, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. <laughs> it's a Ferndale Fortitude thing. Never mind. Okay, so today we're talking about AI, artificial intelligence, and we're doing it from the perspective of Plato's Phaedrus and the ancient Egyptian god Thoth or Thoth. How do you say that name without sounding like you have a lisp? I don't know. Well, we're going to draw from the wisdom of Neil Postman. First, from his book, Technopolis. Now, if you, don't, if you don't know Neil Postman, let me just say, first of all, you got to read everything you can by this man. Uh, great, great uh, interpreter of the culture. Used to be a professor at NYU. I think he's long past now. But um, this book that we're going to really lean on today is actually called, uh, what is it called? Building a Bridge to the 18th Century or something like that. And it's it's really, it's going to give us our six questions for what we should be asking about artificial intelligence, AI. But first of all, we're going to lean on his book called Technopoly, which longtime listeners of Cross Defense will remember that I referenced this book while we were still uh, out there at the seminary when online church was all the rage because of COVID and I was critical of using the internet to replace in-person church. Remember those days? Well, I'm still critical of that. And uh, Postman, well, he opens up Technopoly, you'll remember, with the Egyptian myth as relayed by Socrates to Phaedrus. This is a story written by Plato. But before we go there, let me just give you these six questions we're going to be asking. You can ask yourself anytime you're considering new technology, not just AI, not just artificial intelligence, but anytime you're considering a new tech. And that tech can be all kinds of things. It doesn't have to be built in Silicon Valley or designed in Silicon Valley and built in China. It can be all kinds of things, even the written word as we're about to hear. But these questions... They come from that book I mentioned, uh, Building a Bridge to the 18th Century. I think that's what it's called. By Neil Postman. Read anything you can by this guy. These six questions can be found in a slick little infographic that I've uh, mocked up for you guys over at stmarksferndale.com slash newtech. You can go to stmarksferndale.com slash 
NewTek, that's S-T-M-A-R-K-S, Ferndale.com slash N-E-W-T-E-C-H. And while you're over there at stmarksferndale.com, you can click the contact button if you'd like to send us an email with your thoughts, questions, comments, or or any of your bits of biblical brilliance. You can do that. We'd love to hear from you there. Um, And if you don't want to go and click the button, if you have an aversion to clicking buttons or something, you can just type in the URL, stmarksferndale.com slash contact. S-T-M-A-R-K-S, ferndale.com slash contact. Okay, so here are Postman's six questions to ask when thinking about new technology or even thinking about using old technology if you want. One, what is the problem to which this technology is the solution? That's the first question. Two, whose problem is it? Three, Which people and what institutions might be most seriously harmed by a technological solution? Interesting question. Four, what new problems might be created because we have solved this problem? (laughs) Unintended consequences, yeah? Five, what sort of people and institutions might acquire special economic and political power because of technological change? And six, what changes in language are being enforced by new technologies and what is being gained and lost by such changes? And if you wait around to the end of the show, you'll get a seventh bonus question. But those are the six questions that give us pause and allow us time to breathe and consider more than just the exciting dreams of what this or that new technology affords. Because that's usually what happens, right? There's a new tech announced, unveiled, and everybody is going crazy about it. There's this AI race right now, right? Everybody's trying to find ways of implementing it and using it. And we're all just kind of salivating at the mouth over AI. Well, Let's ask these six questions first and kind of slow the row a little bit. Kind of figure out what it is that's going on here and is this really what we want to do? AI is the newest tech that everybody's talking about, everybody's using, everybody except for me. (laughs) I don't know if there is a way to verify this, but a few months back, I think I was the first Christian to be persecuted with AI. I think I was the first Christian in the world to be persecuted with the use of artificial intelligence. The founder of Lost Coast Pride here in Ferndale used AI to generate an image of me. I shared it with you guys here on Cross Defense. I don't know if uh, some of you might have seen it if you were watching a video version of the show or something. But I used an image of me, created an image of me, I should say, with the use of AI as a drag queen. I was hideous. I would make an ugly ugly woman. Thanks be to God that I am a man. <laughs> and and even if regular Joes aren't using it to mock God's messengers, to persecute the church, many of you are using it with or for everyday tasks, right? You 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 know you already are. A conservative couple came into Butterfat Books, the the store my wife and I own, the bookshop. They came into the store a few weeks back, and and even though they had major reservations about AI, we were all you know talking about AI, just chatting up the customers, and even though they had major reservations about using AI, they said they admitted <laughs> a little bit shamefully that it was a great help in meal planning and generating a corresponding shopping list. A Mrs. Customer, 
with the demands of homemaking and homeschooling their five children, said it was a wonderful tool for that sort of thing. She recognized there was all kinds of dangers that she could imagine it would do, but, but in this particular instance, it was a great thing. And I can imagine so. I was looking at a photo editing app the other day, trying to find a, a new one uh, to be able to post some photos for our, our Butterfat books, our bookstore over you know, on Instagram and things like this. Yes, everyone's trying to draw me into the, the social media net again, even though I freed myself from it. Uh, and I was, I was looking at the, the photo editing apps, and I, I have the one I like to use, but uh, I was looking for one where I can have some presets just kind of locked in, and I noticed that AI is the new preeminent feature in all of these apps. But the inner artist in me, the art snob in me, the, the phot photography purist, and I never thought I would say I was one of those, he jeered at the thought of editing with AI, which I guess is exactly how darkroom film developers feel or felt when digital photography and Adobe's Lightroom came along. So uh, I guess everything comes around, right? So in Phaedrus's, uh, or Plato's Phaedrus, Socrates tells of the Egyptian god Theuth, <laughs> I always sound like I have a lisp when I say his name, visiting King Thamus. He presented his various inventions to the king, and among them was the invention, the technology of the written word, writing. Theoth described it saying, here is an accomplishment, my lord and king, which will improve both the wisdom and the memory of the Egyptians. I have discovered a sure receipt for memory and wisdom. King Thamus replied though, Theoth, Thoth, whatever your name is, my paragon of inventors, the discoverer of an art is not the best judge of the good or harm which will accrue to those who practice it. The discoverer of that art, the inventor of the tech, isn't the best guy to ask about how good it is or how harmful it may be. What was it that Jeff Goldblum's character said in the original Jurassic Park movie? Do you remember? Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether they could, they didn't stop to think of whether they should, right? It's the philosophical ought question, the ought. C.S. Lewis explains it this way in his book, The Problem of Pain, a really good, easy-to-access understanding of what ought means in philosophical language. All the human beings that history has heard of acknowledge some kind of morality, he says. That is, they feel, they feel towards certain proposed actions the experience is expressed by the words ought or I ought not. I ought, I ought not. You can shuffle, Lewis says, I want and I am forced and I shall be well advised to and I dare not as long as you please without actually getting out of them the slightest hint of I ought and I ought not. The moralities accepted among men, Lewis continues, may differ, though not at bottom, so widely as we often think or would be claimed. But they all agree in prescribing a behavior which their adherents fail to practice. 
all men alike stand condemned, not by alien codes of ethics, but by their own code of ethics. And all men, therefore, are conscious of guilt. And so we, dear Cross Defense listener, we do well to listen to Postman's underscoring the idea that technology is not a branch of science, but of moral philosophy which you may be thinking of Romans 2. What does verse 14 and following say? For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written in their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day, when according to my gospel, Paul says, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Romans 2, 14, 15, and 16. And what's Paul saying? The law was given externally to Moses and to the Israelites, right? Right. So even though the Gentiles don't have the law written out, explained, articulated in, in the Ten Commands, they still certainly have it written on their hearts. And when they operate according to that law, according to their own code of ethics, they then bear witness against themselves based on that code of ethics that they have within themselves. This is what, this is what Lewis is saying about all of us and the ought or the I ought or I ought not, rather than I want to or something like this. As St. Paul wrote in Galatians 5, 16, and 17, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. <laughs> so you don't do what you want to do anymore. You do what you ought to do. Kind of sounds like God's a little bit of a wet blanket at first, doesn't it? Well, that's because we are an I want culture. And you know it's true. And as we move farther and farther away from our religious mores, we're slaughtering what we ought to do with the chainsaw of what we want to do. We are a I want culture through and through. Hence Paul's warning to Timothy. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Want over ought. When want kills ought in our hearts, we're behaving like the enemies of Christ that Paul talks about in Philippians 3, 18 and 19. For many, he says, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Okay, so back to Plato's Phaedrus. King Famous told Theuth, the discoverer of an art is not the best judge of the good or harm which will accrue to those who practice that art, that tech. This is why Elon Musk and, and all the tech dudes out there who are calling for the pause on the development of AI, the, the moratorium on artificial intelligence, I think there's, what, 
a few months back, there was that article about a thousand tech leaders from from Meta, which is Facebook, right? Uh, Google, and all these guys. They were they were signing this. Hey, hold on a second. Let's wait and let's really think about what's happening. It was newsworthy, right? That's why it's newsworthy. When the discoverer of the art, to use the mythological terminology, when the inventor of the tech is calling for us to, whoa, slow down and wait a minute, that catches our attention because normally the guy who invents the thing wants to get it to market as fast as possible. And as King Famous said, he's not usually the one we want to listen to to see if it's going to be good for us or harmful for us. They're the guys who've brought the technology to market. And in this case, they're not just focused on the good it can do, but they're noticing the danger that AI poses as well. Thamus continues. So it is, in this, you who are the father of writing, have out of fondness for your offspring, the invention of writing, attributed to it quite the opposite of its real function. And now listen to this. This is great, guys. Those who acquire it will cease to exercise their memory and they'll actually become forgetful. They will rely on writing to bring things to their remembrance. They'll rely on writing to bring things to their remembrance by external signs instead of by their own internal resources, instead of actually having to to register it in their brain and, and, and kind of file it back there in the mental Rolodex, as we say. What you have discovered, King Famous says, is a receipt for recollection, not for memory. And as for wisdom, your pupils will have the reputation for wisdom, but without the reality of it. Oh, that's heavy stuff. They will receive a quantity of information without proper instruction. And in, and in consequence for that, they will be thought very knowledgeable when they are, in fact, for the most part, quite ignorant. And because they are filled with the conceit of wisdom instead of real wisdom, they will then be a burden to society. Wow. Let's leave it right there, guys. Let's take a break for a second. We'll come back and we'll continue this conversation about artificial intelligence and the six questions we should be asking as we face it. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, and faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts.
Thanks for sticking around for more Cross Defense. We're looking at King Thamus's response to the invention of writing as we ask six questions about artificial intelligence. Would you have considered all these negatives that came along with the introduction of the written word? Would you have thought about that, what they, what they did to man? I, I wouldn't have thought about this without Postman pointing it out for us, without drawing me to Plato's Phaedrus. I guess Plato was the one who pointed it out through Socrates. And Postman starts the book Technopoly with this legend to point out that every technology, every technology, not just the complicated ones, not just the fancy ones, the ones with all the bells and whistles, but every technology, even written word, the written word is simultaneously a blessing and a curse. It's never all of one and none of the other. Even the simplest tech presents problems that we, we ought to think about, think through before we adopt them, at least individually, if not corporately. Postman brings up the Gutenberg Press, actually, which was a major boon for the Reformation, right? The Luther and all of us Lutherans, we know how, uh, how great it was, how much of an assistance the Gutenberg Press, the movable type, the ability to publish in the common vernacular, but the ability to publish and not just write out scrolls and copy handwritten, but to get it out. It was like, it was like the internet. In fact, we refer to the internet as the, the biggest development in communication since the Gutenberg Press, since the movable type, right? And we love that because the gospel came through with the Reformation. It had been suppressed and it was returned to its rightful place in the church because of this innovation of the Gutenberg Press and, and how guys like Luther were able to get the word out in ways before, even 100 years before with John Huss, it wasn't really an option. I'm horrified to think about what the world would look like if we were still under the errors that had entered the church under the papacy, if we didn't have the Gutenberg Press and that technology at that right moment. I, I think of it as divine providence, for sure. But a Roman Catholic, on the other hand, might see it differently. He might see it more in line with Postman's demonstrative analysis of what the Gutenberg Press did. Take a listen to this. Had Gutenberg foreseen that his printing press with movable type would lead to the breakup of the Holy Roman Catholic and Apostolic Church, he surely would have used his old wine press, and that's what the Gutenberg Press was developed out of, right? He would have used his old wine press to make wine and not books. <laughs> so you can see the blessing, but also the curse, depending on how you look at it. Okay, so AI. Question number one, what is the problem to which this artificial intelligence is the solution? Reports are coming in from seemingly every industry under the sun that AI is solving problems. We're, I, I saw articles about better dental crowns made with AI, new antibiotics being developed with it. It can write manuscripts. We, we heard about the, uh, the writer's strike in Hollywood, and one of the things that was part of that strike is that they didn't want AI to be used to write first drafts of manuscripts for TV shows and movies. The AI can write first drafts at least, and then be, they can be massaged and, and you know, edited down after that, and they did not want AI encroaching on the Writers Guild's work. So that's already you know, come into, into play with, with a strike. 
It can do artwork. As I mentioned, you know, I've, I've been persecuted. I'm, I hold the title of the first Christian persecuted with AI as I was turned into a drag, drag queen with it. Uh, it can compose music, create shopping lists, as we heard with the customers at the bookstore, all these sorts of things and more that I don't even know about. Now, when Postman discusses this first question, he points out that he has a reputation himself, or he had one when he was alive, of being a Luddite opposed to technology. His retort is worth a million AI-generated raps. That's right. AI can rap. He says, I regard it as stupid to be anti-technology. So if, if you're pumping the brakes on the AI thing and people are calling you a Luddite or just saying you're anti-tech or you're a dinosaur, this sort of thing, no, no. Postman says of himself, he, he's a dinosaur. But he, he says it's stupid to be anti-technology. That would be something like being anti-food, he says. We need technology to live as we need food to live. But, of course, if we eat too much food or, or we eat food that has no nutritional value or eat food that is infected with disease... We turn a means of survival into its opposite. Pretty good analysis, right? The same may be said, he says, of our technology. Not a single philosopher would dispute that technology may be life-enhancing or life-diminishing. Common sense commands us to ask, which is it? Only a fool will blithely welcome any technology without having given serious thought to the question, will AI enhance life or diminish it? <laughs> I would say, too, uh, just I hate to be the bearer of bad news here, but I think we are a culture of fools. How often do we take the new tech, all of the bells and the whistles and all the fancy shiny things and bits and bobs and gadgets, and we just run with them? We do it every single Christmas season, don't we? Without ever stopping to ask, what's going to be the consequence of this? Here's another little anecdotal story. My wife and I were very diligent not to give our children screens, tablets, when they first came out. And especially uh, the Kindle Fire and these, these more affordable, when you hit the iPad, you had the iPhone, but they were pretty expensive. And then Amazon came out and... and um, Barnes & Noble with the, the Nook, they, they came out with these more affordable options. And we thought to ourselves, huh, well, they could, the kids could read with these things, but we still like, no, they'll just, they can just have books. But then wouldn't you know it, a loving, wonderful member of the family gave both our daughter and our son Amazon Fires for Christmas one year. Okay. The kids were all excited. They're going to read all kinds of new books with these things. It's great, Mom. It's great, Dad. And they did for about a week, and then they started putting in the apps for the games and watching movies on these things. And all of a sudden, the reading went away because these devices offered an easier access to the distraction of television and instant gratification games. And reading was, well, just not as fun. True story, don't let that happen to your children. Will AI... <laughs> enhance life or diminish it? 
the people making money on the new AI chips and the new AI apps and all the bips and bops and whatevers, they want you to focus on how it will enhance your life. And it may just do that. It may not just do that, but do that just well. But those were the same people who presented us with social media just a few years back. And just last week, was it the Surgeon General who, who reported what everyone has known for years, that social media is extremely harmful for children, and I would say for everyone. Increasing rates of depression, anxiety, terrorizing especially young girls, but all boys and girls, with a distorted self-perception. It's definitely playing into the whole transgender contagion, giving everyone a grossly misunderstood view of reality with all the filters and all the, all the different stuff like that, contributing to exploding suicide rates, could add the spread of all the social contagions, transgenderism, homosexuality, racism, pedophilia, known as MAPS now. Yeah, it's gross. Feminism, neo-Marxism, and, and even the alt-right delusions, as we talked about last week. Not to mention distracting us all from the finer things in life. Like, I don't know. How about actual in-person community? Physical activity under the sun, real conversations with our spouses and children and siblings and friends, church members. Postman suggests that we remain extra vigilant when we hear the visionary and celebratory views of a technology of the future. He rightly says, we're not required, and get this, we're not required to be tyrannized by the tech. That is to say, we don't always have to go in the direction that some technology would take us. We do have a responsibility to ourselves and our institutions that supersede our responsibilities to the potential of technology. Would that the Israelites would have followed this thought process, yeah? When they were pleading for Samuel to give them a human king like the other nations had? that would judge them and go out before them and fight their battles, right? They thought it would be a blessing. The tech gurus in Silicon Valley were touting monarchies as the, the best thing to come along since the iPhone. It was, it was all the positive utopianism. Come on, give us, give us a king, Samuel. No one listened to Samuel when he said in 1 Samuel 8, 11 to 18, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. He will take your male servants and your female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. This describes what postmen would call the winners and the losers of any new technology. He says every new tech creates new winners and new losers. 
They're always those who are going to win from this new change, this introduction. And there will always be those who lose from it. So who will win and who will lose from AI? The second question is whose problem is being solved by AI? Who will benefit from AI and who will pay for it? In our current state of things, this makes me feel very uneasy. We're currently in the habit of adopting sweeping and often costly changes in our cities and in our country that benefit the minority of people, but burden everyone else. Our victimhood culture has made a question like this one seem insensitive to its core. If anybody has a problem today, it's supposed to be everybody's problem, isn't it? And if you don't think so, well, then you're just not loving, guy. And you're probably a bigot, I think. You know, I can't say that I know of a problem that I have right now that I've been thinking to myself, you know, if, if AI would only come along, this would be solved. I, I think I need AI to fix this problem. It actually seems to me that AI is creating solutions to problems that we don't know we have. And so an unofficial added question, this isn't the, the bonus seventh question, but an unofficial question that goes along with this is, is AI a hammer in search of a nail? It is, is it an unneeded solution to a non-existent problem? It's a serious question. Here's the third question on our list. Which people and what institutions might be most seriously harmed by AI? Now, I, for one, am concerned about how Christians and the church will be seriously harmed by it. I recently watched an Answers in Genesis video that demonstrated that AI offers secularized answers to biblical questions. That's extremely problematic. If people use AI to get their answers to the big questions in life, they will be led away from God's truth, the truth, away from Jesus, which is really that surprising, right? After all, AI is nothing more than a man-made tool that is drawing its data from what man has written. It's not surprising to think it will spit out man-made wisdom over and against God's foolishness. Again, he who has ears, let him hear. How will this tech hurt the church? Well, we've already seen how when we were faced with the overreach of the state— during the COVID pandemic, live streaming on social media aided our milk toast response to the obstruction of the gospel, to the weak and the dying, and to the, the tempted. Many Christians were tempted to sin, tempted to stay away, to break the third commandment, to not honor the preaching of God's word, to not think of it as essential, but rather were caused to doubt God, to doubt whether they'd be safe listening to God's word, and they put their trust in man's word instead. Yeah, see, I'm not optimistic about the use of AI for the church. The use in general as a society and how it will affect the church, I should say. Okay, so we're up against our next break. Let's take a break right here. Let's pause. We'll come back, and we'll look at questions four, five, and six, specifically in regard to AI, and we'll call it a day. Thanks for listening to Cross Defense. We'll be right back. Hello friends, I'm Pastor Phil Boo, host of Thy Strong Word. 
Each weekday morning at 11 a.m., join me and a guest pastor as we explore God's Word, which strengthens our faith and guides our lives. You can listen over the air, online at kfuo.org, or through your favorite podcasting app. Just search for Thy Strong Word, only from KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Okay, as we continue talking about AI and the six questions that we should have about it as we enter into an age of it, number four, what new problems might be created because we have solved this problem? And I'm not sure we actually identified a problem that's being solved. Maybe you can please write in stmarksferndale.com slash contact or get a hold of me uh, however you'd like to. You can use the KFUO app as well if you'd like to do that. Um, But I don't know if we've actually solved a problem with AI yet. So it's hard for me to think of an answer for this fourth question. But Postman makes some really neat observations as he's trying to demonstrate the power of this question. And one of them, my favorite, it's related to the church, it goes like this. He says, Benedictine monks invented the mechanical clock way back in the 13th century, yeah? In order to be more precise in performing their canonical prayer, so to aid worship, which they needed to do seven times. They had to pray seven times, the hours of the day. Had they known that the mechanical clock would eventually be used by merchants as a means to establish a standardized workday and then a standardized product, that is, that the clock would be used as an instrument for making money instead of serving God, Postman points out that the monks might have decided that their sundials and their water clocks were yet just quite sufficient. They were, they were perfectly fine. This is something like the intentional decision that you and I might make to buy a dumb phone instead of a smartphone, to be able to break the habit of being online all the time. Or as I've done in my garden, intentionally, doing some things out in the garden the harder way, the slower way. I prefer to fill up one watering can at a time from our rain barrels instead of using the hose. I could use the garden hose, but no, I'd rather fill up the watering can. Not only is the rainwater better for the plants, but it requires that I make more trips to and from the barrel getting in more casual exercise, which you may not know, for pastors who sit around a lot, we need to do that. (laughs) Pastors, get an up desk and stand up, would you? That's a good use of technology there. But most importantly, it means I'm in the garden longer. I get to stop and smell the roses, as they say, and I get to observe all the things that need to be done in the garden if I want it to be successful. Things I would otherwise miss if I was hurrying with the technology of the garden hose. So what are we going to miss once AI has become the norm? Once everyone's watering the garden with the water hose of AI, what will we wish we had in the form of the watering can? What will we upend, in other words, by introducing and adopting in in mass the use of AI. What will we, how much artwork will we not be able to create as humans? What, what tasks are we going to lose? Just as Thamus pointed out to Thoth, Thoth <laughs> that it was actually going to be, writing was going to be a tool that would make it to where people couldn't recall things as well, right? It would, it would actually undo memory. It wouldn't aid memory. 
And we already know that kind of thing with, with the internet, right? Everyone just Googles stuff now instead of actually memorizing it and getting it lodged in their brain. Okay, the fifth question. What sort of people and what sort of institutions might acquire special economic and political power because of AI? Well, it seems to me that AI, at least at the popular consumer level, I can't talk about the way it's being used for making dental crowns or antibiotics and things like that, but at least at our consumerist level, it's going to further benefit big tech. And therefore, it's going to further benefit the conversation of the left, the, the people on the left having the, the conversations that they're having on Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all these things, and allowing certain things to be said and certain things not to be said, especially around political seasons. It's going to add more weight on big tech's scale, furthering the soft totalitarianism that we're already living under. And don't be confused by that word soft. It's no less a threat than hard totalitarianism. The distinction is that the latter is state-sponsored totalitarianism. And the former is conducted by non-state players. Big tech censorship is soft totalitarianism. And it leads to bad places just like state-sponsored totalitarianism does. What's at issue with this question, Postman teaches, are the changes that might occur in our psychic habits, our social relations, and most certainly, our political institutions. Nothing, he says, is more obvious than that a new technology changes the structure of discourse. It does so by encouraging certain uses of the intellect, by favoring certain definitions of intelligence, and by demanding a certain kind of content. This is exactly what we saw from Phaedrus, that Plato was pointing out through Socrates, right? We can see this clearly in our own day with Twitter, yeah? There's a certain structure to the discourse that favors some people on Twitter. I got on there last week, and my head was spinning. How can anybody communicate like this? This is not cool. I don't like it. Others, I think it's great. I think it's abrasive. I think it grates on my soul and yours too. I think TikTok's even worse. Who wants to communicate like this? Who who has actually developed the skills of being able to communicate in person would rather sit behind their keyboard and mash some, some letters and think they're speaking to someone, having a conversation with someone that way. That's not a conversation. That's you're 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 communicating by telegram just happens to be a lot fancier and a lot faster, but it's not a conversation. Who, I still ask this question, wants to communicate like that? I don't know. So YouTube works for me. Instagram, you got video, you got, you got photo. Facebook, kind of, but I tended to always go toward the photo realm, so Instagram just kind of beats that one out. But more and more, I find that I'm like Postman. Maybe it's because I'm getting older. And I think it's great, actually. See, Postman says, I suppose I cannot put myself forward as a model citizen of the digital age. And I, just a few years ago, I thought I was the model citizen. Not anymore. In fact, there are many people, Postman says, who, who describe him, uh, his response to the digital age, and they continually call him a dinosaur. Nonetheless, he says, I find it useful to ask of any technology that is marketed as indispensable what problem does it solve for me? And there's your seventh question. If you've stuck around for the show this long, 
It's a personal, subjective question. Yes, we ask a lot of objective questions on this show, but it's also good to ask some subjective questions when appropriate. What problem will this new tech solve for me? Will its advantages outweigh its disadvantages? This is what Postman asks for himself. Will it alter my habits and my language? And if so, for better or for worse? My answers may not be your answers, he says, and almost certainly they're not your answers. (laughs) Guys, listen to this. This guy, Neil Postman, is who I want to be when I grow up. This guy's amazing. He says, I write my books with pen and paper because I have always done it that way and enjoy doing so. So when people are getting on the kick of like, well, don't be those people who don't want to change just because they've always done it. Well, that's okay to just be the, to do the thing you've always done the way you've always done it. There's nothing wrong with that inherently. As long as the thing you're doing is not wrong. He says, I don't have a computer. (laughs) The internet, this is writing this in 1999. I don't have a computer. The internet strikes me as a mere distraction still to this day. That's what it is. I do not have voicemail or call waiting, both of which I regard as uncivil. (laughs) I have access to a fax machine, but try to control my use of it, he says. Snail mail is quite adequate for most of my correspondence. And I do not like the sense of urgency that faxes inevitably suggest. Well, man, how about all of social media? Texting. It suggests a sense of urgency. It used to be you get a text and the person would get a reply whenever you got around to it because it wasn't assumed you always had your phone in your pocket. Now, someone sends a text, they, they expect, I know this because I do too, I expect that person to respond pretty quickly. And Postman says, I don't like that sense of urgency. Oh, how great it would be if we could get away from that sense of urgency and slow down. He says, my car has cruise control, but I've never used it since I do not find keeping my foot on the gas pedal a problem. This is, this is great. Let us all strive to be like Neil Postman. Let us all strive to be like dinosaurs. I'm okay with that. You may not be, but I'm okay with that. So that was the seventh question, but we kind of skipped over the sixth question. So let's go back a little bit. The sixth question, as it pertains to AI, what changes in language are being enforced by artificial intelligence? And what is gained and what is lost by those changes? The example he gives is exactly what I was talking about during COVID and what I still talk about with the members here at St. Mark's. Postman says, think how the word community is now employed by those who use the internet. He says, I have the impression that community is used to mean simply people with similar interests. A a considerable change, he says, from the older use of the word community. A community is made up of people who may not actually have same interests as each other, but who must negotiate and resolve their differences for the sake of social harmony. Doesn't this sound like the church? We're united on things that, are, that matter, but we don't have necessarily the same interests. You're going to get people from all walks of life coming to the rail. You're going to get people from all kinds of varying interests and backgrounds. The true diversity that the world and the devil are trying to create with their diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff. 
The Lord does that with actual community at church. When we're all putting aside our own personal interests for the sake of the truth of the gospel and receiving that thing that actually unites us into a communion, same word, right? Community. Tocqueville, he says, used the phrase, an ethic of reciprocity to delineate what's at the heart of community life. I like that, an ethic of reciprocity. What is that to do with a community of internet users? Postman asks, nothing, right? There is no sense of of being able to navigate the differences to actually be in a community with each other. It's like, nope, we're all part of the Raider Nation or we're all part of the Volkswagen Club or we're all into this thing or that thing. And so we're right back to our previous conversation about getting offline and getting involved in in-person churches, your local church, where the communion of saints are actually a community How will AI exasperate the isolation from other humans that is already rampant in our world today? That the Surgeon General is warning about that's causing depression and suicidality and all these things. How will AI foster a fake, false sense of community as users of it have conversations, not with human beings, but with chatbots, no longer asking questions from other humans, but asking the internet for answers. We already do this with YouTube, right? We used to go to our fathers to learn how to fix the car. Now we YouTube it. And now as dads, we tell our kids, hey, YouTube it. (laughs) So we have a conversation with the stranger on the screen a one-sided conversation rather than learning side by side, getting our hands greasy and dirty, cutting our knuckles with our fathers. There's more that goes into that experience than just gaining the information or accomplishing the goal of fixing the car. There's bonding. There's growing, shared experience, overcoming trials with one another, struggles with one another that you're not going to have with a chatbot. You don't get with Alexa or any of this kind of stuff. How will that be exasperated because of AI for the church? Those are real serious questions. And guys, there you have it. We're going to leave it there. You have your six questions. You have your fancy, slick little diagram for asking them. You can use them for anything, any technology from the written word all the way to AI to figure out how it works for you, what dangers, what pitfalls are there, what blessings that we're receiving from God. Remember, from God through these things because God wears many masks and he delivers these things through vocations. This isn't to say AI is going to be completely bad. There's going to be wonderful blessings that come with it. But at what cost? That's all we're asking. We consider artificial intelligence. We're considering both the good and the bad. And not from the mouth of the inventor of it, but as the users of it, as the people who will receive its benefits or consequences. I pray this episode has equipped your minds, my friends, as you live in the cross with Christ as your defense. This has been Cross Defense, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. So, Godspeed. 
Cross Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org.